You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the Mayagi Nation podcast. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle, joined by Travis Brown. It's Thanksgiving week, Travis. What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for you, Alex. Wow, that is so kind. Yeah. I am I am thankful for Yeah. Can we start this over? Sure. Okay. I totally blanked. Alright, here we go. In three, two, one. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the Myagnation podcast. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle, joined by Travis Brown. Travis Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, buddy. What What are you thankful for this year? I'm, I'm thankful for you. Wow. That is so kind. Um, <laughs> that that just made my day. Travis, yeah. what is your favorite Thanksgiving? No, you know what? What is your least favorite Thanksgiving Anything food? with green beans in it. I hate green beans. Yes, green bean casserole, absolutely disgusting. I green beans, they're slimy, they're gross, they don't taste good. I hate green beans. Are you are you a white meat or a dark meat turkey guy? Uh white meat, I like if you, I like that that if you can get like the uh the Cajun seasoned turkey. Ooh. We did we had we did a little family uh get together in Dallas this past weekend and uh, we had that kind of Cajun seasoned turkey. It was delicious. Well, the Aggies might be ordering some Cajun seasoned turkey stuff with cornflakes, potentially. <laughs> They're playing LSU this weekend in their season <sighs> finale. The bottom line is Anum's playing for two things. They're playing for pride, and they're playing to ruin, spoil LSU's outside shot at making the playoff. Yeah, and I think that that is a little bit of a, um, a selling point, something that... that that they seem to be grasping onto a little bit is, um, excuse me, the bit uh, playing upset, playing spoiler. Uh, LSU has, uh, there, there's kind of a little bit of the rivalry that's formed up there since 2017. And I think that there is some guys on this team that, that would like to see that happen. And, and I think that there is maybe a chance that that could happen. I think it all depends on the health of Devon A. Chain and Evan Stewart. Yeah, uh, Devon A-Chain, Evan Stewart sat out last week. A-Chain didn't play against Auburn. Stewart had to leave the game in the second half. You know, you look back, the three of them were together against Ole Miss, and that was probably Anum's best offensive game of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think having all three of them back would be a big help. It gives them a little bit more balance. It, it gives the... Uh, the, the defensive secondary of LSU uh, has to make the choice of are they going to double team uh, Evan Stewart or are they going to double team Moose Muhammad when they had both of those guys available is when the passing game really clicked and moved two guys who can run good routes and, and catch balls in traffic um, when it's just one of them out there they're able to bracket those guys and uh, that that doesn't necessarily live leave a whole lot of guys open who have proven themselves that much another thing donovan green being back too right he started to come along a little bit and another uh guy that 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 can make some some moves in the, in the passing game i think that would be huge um and too if you look back at um the the umass game it took a half for a&m's running backs their backup guys uh Le'Veon moss and amari daniels to, to really kind of find their stride. I know some of that Jimbo Fisher said was the tight end sealing um, some of those those running running lanes off. But, um, I, yeah, I think having those those three guys back really 
uh, could make all the difference in if A&M has a chance or if it's just going to be a, a, an LSU blowout. Yeah, you know, uh, certainly certainly looks like Devon A-Chain probably more likely to play. I think it was telling how Jimbo Fisher said he tried to give it a go last week and then just couldn't make it happen. Got to think that he's probably on the upswing for yeah. this week. Yeah, I mean, he was out there in warm-ups, in full pads. He didn't really participate in drills, and you could kind of see him testing out that leg and kind of shaking his head and talking to people. And then uh, I believe he was still in, in uniform throughout the game on the sidelines. Evan Stewart wasn't out there at all uh, during warmups and was in street clothes on, on the sidelines. So just depends on how uh, much he can, they, they can get over that and, and get into the game. Um, but it would be a huge boost if they had all three of them. You know, something Connor Wegman kind of unlocked last week that we hadn't really seen from him was his running ability. Uh, Seems like that is an element of his game that, you know, if he can if he can see the green light when the play's kind of unfolding and just take off and run, certainly can help the Aggies, especially since we've seen how, you know, there's been times where AM's receivers just haven't done a great job of running routes and getting open. Well, we're going to talk to the advocates uh, reporting duo, uh, Leah Van and Wilson Alexander, in the next segment. And uh, I'll play spoiler here. And, and we talk a little bit about Harold Perkins, their uh, uh, pass rusher, edge rusher extraordinaire, um, who has actually, as Leo will say, dropped back a little bit and kind of played spy and linebacker at times uh, and, and gotten to choose his times to, to, to running to, to, to uh uh, rush the quarterback that actually might be huge because if you can engage Connor's legs a little bit more and make him a running threat in this game it takes away their ability just to set him up on the edge and rush the passer every time they might just elect to drop him back and spy a little bit more um, not to say that either one is going to be great for A&M's uh, offense but I think for what A&M's off the struggles A&M's offensive line has had this year you'd rather have Harold Perkins back as a spy than necessarily uh, trying to get in and disrupt the pocket every every play. Well, I was doing a little research before this, oh, and no. uh, Harold Perkins and Connor Wegman they're they're pretty familiar with each other. Played seven on seven in high school. They're both from Cyprus. Harold Perkins played at Cy Park. Connor Wegman played at Bridgeland. Uh, they played against each other in the same district, and their senior year, Cy Park beat. Bridgeland, one of the few games Bridgeland lost. They had a really good season that senior season for Wegman. And uh, I believe in that game that Harold Perkins had an interception on Wegman. So mm. these, guys are, these guys are familiar with each other. There so. you go. Well, we're going to get all into the matchup between the Aggies and Tigers with our friends from the Advocate. Let's, sh- let's switch gears a little bit because as football season winds down for the Aggies, basketball season – Starting to ramp up. AM played in the Myrtle Beach Invitational last week. Not necessarily anything to write home about, though. Yeah, but I don't necessarily think that the uh, losses are, are super concerning. They were against quad, what would probably be about quad two opponents, which you know, isn't great for a resume, but isn't as detrimental as some of those early losses were for AM last season uh, in Murray State in Colorado. Murray State is, is a perennial uh tournament team yeah they won 30 Um, games last year (laughs) if you look at the stats there is two issues if that that across the board a&m is a better all-around team than they were last year and that's a team that made the nit finals there's just two issues really that they've had that that put them behind 
uh, in, in those two games that they need to fix. And it's stuff that Bez Williams has talked about from from the get-go. The first and the, probably the most important is closing out on shooters uh, when they get in rotation behind the three-point line. Uh, opponents' three-point percentage against A&M, they're shooting 38.9%, and that ranks A&M 312th in the nation. They, they've got to get some more hands and faces on those three-point shooters, and that happens with the way that they run their defense when they get into rotation. That backside three-point uh, area it can be left open, and, and they got to um, close out, stay in their normal rotations a little better so there's a guy closer over there can get a hand in someone's face. That being said, I believe it was the – Colorado game that that they shot like 50% against A&M from three-point range, some of that you just got to tip your cap to um, because you're just not going to face teams that shoot at that high of a clip against the Aggies um, every game. Uh, So there was a little bit of anomaly there, but I think as Buzz Williams would say, a lot of that is they have to defend the three-point shot a lot better um, to help pull that percentage down. The other thing is opponents' free throw percentage. Um, They're ranked um, uh, 245th in the nation. Opponents are shooting uh, 72.6% from the free throw line. And I know some of this is when they're behind, they're having to foul, but when they're getting to the line, they're hitting their free throws against the Aggies. Um, The only way really you could defend that is just a, get yourself in positions where you're not having to foul late, and B, don't foul so much early. I mean, I think it was the uh, Abilene Christian game that they were already in the bonus, uh, the double bonus, like eight minutes into the first half. You, they can't oh, wow. foul as much as they've been fouling. But those two things, compared to where they were last year with turnovers, yeah, they're, not, they're still turning the ball over decently uh, at a decently high clip, but there are fewer live ball turnovers this season, and uh, the teams aren't necessarily capitalizing on those turnovers quite as much. I, I see that those the, the three-point shooting, defending, and uh, fouling less as two of the bigger issues this year, and those are, more, those are easily fixed more so than some of the issues they had last year. You know, I was watching the Murray State game and part of the Colorado game, and they were, they were just shooting lights out. I mean... Part of that I wonder, too, is, you know, they're playing in a small gym where the wall's, like, right up back behind the backboard. Probably more of a shooter's gym where you can have a chance to make more of those shots, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is certainly the case. I, I know we were talking about this back in 2015 when I was covering TCU. They were redoing their gym, and the women's basketball team played in the rec center that had the walls right behind the, uh, the baskets. And that season, uh, TCU shot, I think it was like 10 to 15 percentage points higher than they did the season before, just be, not having that large depth of field behind uh, the, the baskets like you have in a big arena. So that can always help shooters. Well, Anum's going to go on the road. They're playing DePaul this week, a uh, team from the Big East up in Chicago. So, you know, a chance for AM to to rebound with a team over or a win over a team with, you know, that's got program pedigree. Yeah, if you're looking at, at Ken Palm's uh, stats and rankings, AM's ranked 58. Not bad um, for, for all things considered. DePaul, but both of their losses were, uh, uh, well, at the time, uh, Murray State was 75 and Colorado was 72. Now Colorado's 57, 
Murray State's 106. Um, so at the time, not bad losses. And the Colorado, as they've kept winning, has, has helped. Um, DePaul's ranked 84th. Um, so uh, a little bit better. You're not in the 100s and the 200s and ranking like they were um, the year before. And a lot of away games, if they can take some of these away wins, that'll help their strength of schedule. Of course, one of the things that um, hurt them last year when they were looking at uh, the NCAA tournament bid, um, they got to collect some wins. Their biggest chance to get um, a quality non-conference win before the conference season uh, fires up is December 17th at Memphis. Memphis is ranked 29th in the, the Ken Palm rankings. Um, but if we want to kind of just preview it, if you want to look at what Ken Palm is, is saying, um, they have a projected rev- record of 16 and 15 and 7 and 11 in conference. That's not going to do it to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, but Ken Palm had them much worse. I, I think for, for a while they might have had them winning like one or two or three conference games, the whole conference, and they were able to go on that run, go on that run through the, the conference tournament and um, get into the, the NIT. So uh, they'll have to turn some heads, but I think that they're in a better situation, a better spot this year right now than they were at this time last year. Well, some other news involving a Athletics made a coaching change in volleyball this week. Bird Coon's not going to return. Uh, Anum had the one good season, made the Sweet 16, uh, just haven't really done a lot of good things since. Yeah, if you look at what the, the Lori Corbelli was able to do, she took the AM to 25 NCAA tournaments. Bird Coon was only able to do it once in five years, and you could argue that a lot of that was with a lot of Corbelli's players. Um, haven't necessarily been able to recruit well, haven't been able to keep players here who um, were, were good, and, and they really never could find that good um, six-rotation player to replace Holland Hands when she uh, left. I mean, she was a all-generation type player with all the records that she set and broke, but they couldn't even find anybody really close to that, that that had the consistency that she had. They just weren't a consistent team. They'd go out and beat a ranked team and then lose to a last-place team twice the next weekend. Um, it, it's a tougher – It's a Volleyball is a little tougher sport than a lot of the other ones, too, because they don't have a conference tournament. So you, it's completely on the body of work of what you do in the regular season. And uh, they, they just it, couldn't do anything with, with any consistency. Um, I think it was a good move and the right move for, for uh, uh, Ross Bjork to, to go ahead and, and make the move right then. They owe Coon uh, 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 about... Uh, a little over $500,000 to, to complete out the rest of the two years of that uh, contract. Um, so not a whole lot of money to go ahead and buy out that contract and uh, start fresh with that team. It's, it's been a bad fall for A&M Athletics. Um, and it's the, fall, the fall semesters haven't been great for A&M really the past two years. Last year you had the soccer team missing out on the NCAA tournament for the first time in, in forever. Uh, they were able to make it back this year, but but were uh, booted in the first round um, to Texas. So they're they're making steps towards the future. That 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 scenario was a little different because they had like eight of their attacking players out for most of the conference. Right. Uh, this year they they d- didn't have as much inter- uh, injury problems and were able to get back to the tournament. But if you pair that with um, 
the volleyball teams uh, not having very much success. I know even cross country was hoping that this was going to be the year that their teams made nationals, and they actually only were able to make one individual. Um, so you could say that uh, they didn't hit the, the, the marks, the standards that they wanted to hit this year. Just overall, not a great fall for AM athletics. Well, there's one more game for the AM football team. We're going to get on to the action here in a moment. Stay tuned. Going to hear from Leah Van and Wilson Alexander from The Advocate, breaking down all things LSU A&M. What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown here in the Eagle Studios, and I'm uh, here with the, the crew from The Advocate, Wilson Alexander and Leah Van, uh, both cover LSU out there in Baton Rouge. What's going on, guys? Just home for Thanksgiving. Oh. How are y'all? <laughs> Doing good. Leah, how are you? I'm good. I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, so I'm home for Thanksgiving, and people are already asking me how TCU can make the playoffs. So ah, that's Fort Worth. Yeah, the culture's a little different over here. <laughs> I love I love me some Fort Worth. Love me some funky town. Uh, so let's get right into the game at hand this week. It 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 means the world for LSU doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot for A&M. We can go, uh, whoever wants to start, uh, just what are the biggest storylines coming into this game for the Tigers? I was going to say ladies first, uh, but I could get started if you'd like. Um, I guess the biggest storylines is just the being able to get past this game with a win and stay in the hunt for the college football playoff. LSU has got to win this game to get to the point where if it can upset Georgia and the SEC championship, you know, then it seems like it would make the playoff as uh, far-fetched as that maybe seems just because of how good Georgia has looked that it's still, you know, you play the games for a reason, uh, but LSU, excuse me, even if it were to upset Georgia, if it's lost to Texas A&M already, then it doesn't, it's not going to make the playoff. And so I think the biggest thing uh, is just for LSU on that end is just, is just winning this game. Um, and the big picture still having a shot at, at busting into the playoff as the first two loss team in the CFP history. Yeah, Leah. Yeah, I was going to say uh, consistency offensively. I mean, we saw two weeks ago against Arkansas. Um, LSU kind of had a little bit of struggles there with it being not only cold, but there were also a lot of players with the flu and all that. Um, and LSU's already down one of their running backs, Armani Goodwin, and then Josh Williams sat out last week with uh, a knee injury and. Um, Jaden didn't have his best game in Arkansas. So I think, you know, there have been times this season where the offense has been a little lackluster, but it had been on a hot streak lately. Um, so I think right now, I think the, I think the goal is to establish that offensive consistency, especially like going into the SEC championship. Sure. So I think a guy that a, a lot of A&M fans will know about and uh, have thought about is, is Kendrick Perkins, of course, guy who was a finalist uh, in his recruiting for with A&M. What, uh, w- what have you seen from his progression this year? And I know he's a guy that maybe had, had a little bit of a slow start, but I think is coming on a little bit. Uh, Wilson or Lee? I'll take this one. Um, so Harold, um, he kind of like he's moved into a spot where he's strongest right now. And that is the, uh, the spy linebacker position, which is basically, as you all know, it's just run, go get the quarterback. Right. Um, and I wrote a story today about how the defensive tackles are flushing quarterbacks out of the pocket to make that possible. Right. Cause he's a really fast runner. Um, at the beginning of the season, 
Kelly was kind of putting him in and he'd make these big plays and he was like, I'm not. And then against Tennessee, Harold hardly played at all because they were in the nickel defense and Kelly was thinking about making him an inside linebacker. Um, but then he ultimately decided, you know what? We're not going to like teach him all the inside linebacker stuff right now. Cause obviously you have to be able to read a lot more as an inside linebacker. And so he's like, we're just going to use him as a spy. And that's really worked effectively for LSU. And building off of that, that is certainly where he's kind of maybe made his most flashy plays as a spy. You saw him get chased down Bryce Young and and, and uh, chase down Malik Hornsby at Arkansas as a spy. But what's been maybe particularly impressive is that B.J. Jalari was talking about this yesterday, is that Harold has some pass rush moves um, where he's able to come off the edge as well as sort of like a stand-up outside linebacker and just straight rush the passer. And he's really fast. Uh, he's got great bend and flexibility. Um, there's some moves that uh, Texas A&M fans will probably see that almost sort of reminiscent of Von Miller in a way. His high school coach uh, actually sent him some Von Miller pass rush clips last season uh, of you know his sort of patented uh, shoulder dip, and Harold picked it up right away. And you, he used he's used it multiple times this season. He's just so fast. Um, really, probably one of the fastest players on LSU's team. His change of direction speed is incredible. Uh, the way he closes. Um, is unlike really anything anybody sees. It's interesting talking to LSU players about Harold just because there is a disbelief of him as everybody else is. They start talking about him as if he's just, like, they run out of superlatives, and so does Brian Kelly, and he's got a really bright future. He's already leading the team with six and a half sacks. He's got nine tackles for loss. He's been extremely disruptive um, and the most disruptive player on this team, and probably one of the most disruptive players in college football this season. See, this is why we have the experts on, because you just have me talking about LSU, and I bring up some obscure uh, NBA player, Kendrick Perkins, instead of, not obscure, but NBA instead of Harold Perkins. Thanks for the uh, the correction. So, uh, Wilson, we'll start with you. In, in that regard, how much of LSU's pass rush has been dependent upon Perkins, uh, or how much is, is there other guys that are I involved with that? Because A&M's offensive line has, has been pretty porous this season, and uh, pressure on Connor Wigman ha has been a, a key to uh, a s slowing down, even stopping A&M's offense completely. It's certainly a group effort. Like Leah said a minute ago, the defensive tackles do a lot of work to flush quarterbacks out of the pocket. Um, Makai Wingo, and uh, Jacqueline Roy have done a pretty good job inside. I think Wingo in particular, simply because he was not expected to be a starter this season. Mason Smith, their star, really would have been one of the best players on this team, went down first series of the season opener with an ACL, and you know he's been out, and Wingo stepped up, played a ton of snaps, and those two defensive tackles have made a lot happen, even though they don't necessarily have the pass rush stats. Uh, they get after the quarterback on the interior, and that makes life difficult, especially when you have Harold and B.J. Ojolari coming off the edges. Both of them are really talented pass rushers. And LSU is able to rotate a little bit, too. I mean, somebody we don't even mention much as a pass rusher, but who's a solid defensive lineman is a senior, Allie Gay. Right behind him is Savion Jones, who's an underclassman guy who's going to you know rotate in. Uh, you'll see him, number 35, on the field some. Uh, and he's a better, probably better pass rusher than he is like a run defender. And so it's all kind of working in tandem. And Matt House does a good job of bringing pressure from the edges and from the safety position and, and sending linebackers at different times and mixing up looks. And so it's hard to know exactly where guys are coming from, but we, even when they do just rush three or four, they're talented enough to get after the quarterback. Yeah. So uh, LSU mobile quarterback, uh, 
A&M has had difficulty with mobile quarterbacks throughout the entirety of the season. Leah, uh, what have you seen from, from, from that position, that progression, uh, and how much has uh, his uh, legs been a, 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 a factor in this season? Yeah. So with Jaden, it's been, it's been kind of like a, it's been like a metamorphosis of this offense. Right. So I think we, I asked, um, I asked Brian Kelly a question of, I think it was two weeks ago about like, um, how he's designed the offense and, you know, he's really molded it to Jaden's strengths and it's like, okay, we're not going to stop him from running. Um, but we're going to be strategic about it. So a lot of the run plays that you'll see are, are like, um, you know, they're more design plays rather than him, you know, just at the beginning of season was more just kind of like scrambling out of the pocket and then deciding that no one was open and then just kind of going downfield. Right. So a lot of, uh, a lot of RPOs, a lot of, um, read options, like he's really, it's really been more strategic. And I think I, I think I looked this up a week ago or two about like when he does run the, when he does make up like 50% or around 50% of the rushing yards, LSU's offense tends to do really well. Um, and it also takes some pressure off of the running backs too, because then the other teams don't know, the other teams don't know what to expect. And so they're, um, it kind of confuses them. It's helped Josh Williams. He had like his season, um, best game of 122 yards on the ground against Arkansas. So, um, yeah, I mean, and then as a passer, like Jaden's gotten better, he's taken more shots downfield. He's gotten that chemistry with Keishawn booty. Um, and he did really well last week against UAB. So, um, Wilson, if you wanted to add anything to that. Yeah, sure. It just, it, that has been what's been maybe the most interesting thing is that, like Leah said, at the start of the season, it was running because that's all that they had. And LSU's best play for a while was just Jaden Daniels taking off when there was nothing open or just when he didn't feel comfortable throwing the ball. But now that they've gotten to the point, it started really in the – you could start to see a little bit of progression in the Tennessee game, but it really took off against Florida um, when he started just pushing the ball downfield and letting it rip and throwing the ball over the middle and trusting his receivers to go up and make one-on-one catches because LSU's got a really talented receiver core. That's when his legs started also becoming, like Leah said, something that was uh, – it was all incorporated together instead of just sort of being these two very separate entities. They started building plays off of each other and – running these zone reads where you could then construct, you know, things later in the game um, off of that similar action, but, you know, have it look differently. And, um, you know, Mike Kinnebrock has been able to build an interesting offense off of that and uh, be pretty successful since the Florida game with well, Arkansas is kind of an outlier at this point. Um, we'll see exactly, you know, how he plays against Texas A&M, but it feels like they've really turned a corner the second half of the season. And a lot of it has to do with Jaden's legs who, you know, he's one of uh, only four quarterbacks now in LSU history, uh, to have 3,000 total yards of offense. Um, Burrow did it twice, Rohan Davey, uh, and Jamarcus Russell, and, and Jaden now is as well, and part of that is because of his rushing ability. Jamarcus Russell, I think, was a, a, a Jimbo Fisher uh, uh, trainee when he was at his time at LSU. Uh, so I think a growing refrain from uh, A&M fans that you'll hear in regards to LSU is that LSU is having the season that A&M fans thought the Aggies would have this season, but they're doing it in year one of Brian Kelly. This is year five of Jimbo Fisher. What has the been like covering Brian Kelly and how have you seen LSU as a program, uh, and, and, strate- uh, strate- uh, uh, strategically changed with, uh, Kelly as, as the head coach? Yeah. Um, I actually really enjoy covering Brian Kelly. Uh, he's very thorough. He's a really good interview. I feel like you come out of, 
uh, every press conference learning something new. But I also think he's very comfortable, like showing his personality here um, where I didn't think that he's kind of like the like dad who's trying to be cool, but he's <laughs> not kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> whereas like at Notre Dame, I always thought he was kind of just a dry person. And so, um, you know, I think he's added a lot of organization and stability and discipline to this program. Um, just hearing about all the systems in place, like players holding each other accountable with these daily questionnaires on, um, you know, did you get your hydration in? What did you eat? And how much sleep did you get? Um, and, you know, also having like some of the leaders that he's had, like our Mikai Wingo, who's a transfer from Mizzou, like he's kind of allowed like this team to gel in a way that I think is really hard to do as a new head coach. And, um, you know, I think that he's also brought in a lot of resources. I think Wilson wrote a really cool story on their new nutritionist, Dr. Matt Frakes, and kind of how players, even if they're going out to eat, they can take a little like card with them that will tell them like what to, what kinds of things they can order at like Torchy's Tacos. Um, so it's just very regimented program, um, very disciplined. And of course, like the special teams hasn't been quite as disciplined this season, um, but they've worked through those things too. Yeah, LSU, you'll sometimes hear people around it sort of refer to it as like a like a, a luxury car kind of thing where you need to know have somebody who knows how to drive it because it's a only power five program in a talent rich state with national championship pedigree, having won three in the last, you know, since 2003. And it, the, just the infrastructure inside the program had really fractured over the years and needed to be revamped. And Kelly has come in and been able to do that, been able to drive, know how to drive that car because of his experience. You know, it certainly has worked here in year one for a lot of reasons that Leah said there, just in terms of having these players kind of doing the right things and, you know, having sort of these accountability things off the field and getting them to really buy into his process and everything that goes into that. Uh, It's worked here in year one. You know, they're going to have to continue to build. Uh, This is a roster that, uh, was heavily uh, built up by transfers. Some uh, a good number of those, particularly in the secondary, are going to move moving on after this season. So it's not necessarily just like okay, LSU is going to now be in championship position year after year after year. Um, it, it seems like it's headed in that direction, but they're going to have to continue to do a good job managing this roster, continuing to build this thing. But it's a great start in year one, better than anybody would have expected. So we'll close out with this, and Wilson, we'll start with you. What are the keys to the game for LSU to come out of this with a win? Um, mostly, uh, gosh, I think it's kind of doing sort of the things, same thing as it's done most of the year. It's like you said, it's getting after, uh, the quarterback, it's stopping the run. They've done a good job of stopping the run. Um, and just maybe being able to score enough on Texas A&M because it seems like Texas A&M is still has a pretty capable defense. A lot of these games have been really close. Um, it looks like against, uh, four of those losses there were by six points or less. And so, it seems like it's still, I think it's going to be a competitive game, especially if Texas A&M is charged up to try to really spoil LSU season with not much else on the line for the Aggies this year. So I think it's just kind of being able to go on the road and weather the storm um, and, and, you know, try to kind of take the lead early and put get Texas a and out of it mentally as early as possible. Um, but in terms of like sort of intra-traumatic things, I don't think there's a, a ton that LSU has to do differently necessarily, but just be able to play its game and protect the football, kind of the basic thing. Leah? Yeah, I was going through some rankings yesterday. I noticed that A&M has the number two passing yards allowed defense. Only They only allow like 150 per game, and whereas like their run defense is 123rd in FBS football. Um, 
So that's kind of interesting. Uh, so I think that LSU could really capitalize on, uh, you know, running the ball in addition to like maybe having Jaden, you know, get comfortable passing. It's a really challenging secondary, um, especially when they're going to go face Georgia next week. Um, I think that, you know, again, just kind of continuing what they're going to do. And one of those things, I think I found this out in baseball season. Somebody was saying it is easier to take something away from someone than to defend what you have. And I think that A&M is probably coming into this game like we could take LSU out of contention for the college football playoff. Why don't we just, you know, get that big upset and have the big college football? What the heck is going on moment um, where it's kind of like a trap game like it was at Arkansas. But so LSU just kind of has to work through the emotions and, you know, stay steady and realize that this is a this is a progression and that this is step one. And, and you know, the next week they can handle when it comes. Yeah, Leah, you raise a really good point because uh, A&M's defense has been really good against the pass, but I think as the season has gone on, uh, teams, especially like if you look at Auburn, teams have said, why do we even need to pass the ball when A&M's run defense is that bad? They only had three passing attempts in the in the first half, uh, and he, the they went three for three. So, yeah, if you can get a good running game going against A&M, sometimes it, you don't even need to pass the ball because their run defense has been that bad. Well, guys... Thank you so much for giving us a, a little bit of your time. Real quick, uh, if you can say uh, where they can find your stuff and find you on social media. Uh, I know, Leah, you want a whole bunch of new uh, Aggie followers uh, to, to follow your stuff. So uh, where uh, can people find y'all? Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at LVan underscore sports. Uh, for some reason, Aggies have actually liked a lot of what I've written. I don't know why, but, you know, they can uh, they feel free to follow me. We'll be good. Um, I'm at WH Alexander underscore on Twitter. And then we're both over at the advocate.com and NOLA.com. And uh, if there's any Aggies out there interested in uh, keeping up with what's going on at LSU, please consider uh, subscribing. There you go. Uh, thanks guys. Thanks for taking some time out of your, uh, your Thanksgiving break. Uh, safe travels down here to college station and for everyone watching or watching or listening on the Miami nation podcast. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you next week to wrap up the season. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, a way to burst out the seams. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good loving needs a girl, we know that's true. If we want to keep it, we gotta watch everything that we do. Make sure you're sticking with me. Don't wanna make sure.